and welcome to episode 35 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that asks why a specific subset of the player base are the way that they are in a failed attempt to positively increase engagement, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott and I'm joined by the Thraben Inspector herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? I am okay. Tired, but okay. <laughs> uh, first week of the new job, so it's been a bit of a long one. Lots to process, lots of things to mm. learn, not to mention the incredible amount of meetings that probably shouldn't be meetings that could be dealt with an email, you know, the usual. <laughs> I am starting to settle in though, and it's going to be a lot of fun once things, you know, are getting to a routine and things normalise yeah. somewhat. If you don't know, like I'm the content manager of MTG Rocks now, which is a new outlet by G-Infinity. Um, you can check it out at mtgrocks.com and also on Twitter at mtgrocks. I will be doing some writing for them, but it's mostly behind-the-scenes content management, making sure mm-hmm. everything's all good. But if you want to check it out, go for it. We have a really cool sort of preview section now with all the Time Spire Remaster stuff going up. I saw it, yeah. Looks yeah, good. Yeah, it looks good. With that, I haven't played like a game of Magic this week just because I've been so focused <laughs> with the new job. I have been keeping up with the Time Spire Remastered previews, thanks to work, and it, the set looks mm. great, and I'm in love with the Time Shifter borders, especially the Framing Inspector, oh, and yeah. also what the Ethereal Armors for Bogles and Pauper. But yeah, that's pretty much mm. it. It's a, it's a fairly quiet one, because I've just been focusing on work. How about you? What have you been up to? Yeah, I'm good. I've been continuing my series on the best commanders on a budget, and this week I'm diving into the best commanders in black. So I talk all about aristocrats, mill, life gain, and even an underground crime syndicate in the 99. So Ooh. if that sounds good or interesting, uh, you can find the top five mono black commanders on a budget over a car kingdom right now. But with the plug out of the way, uh, in terms of magic, I've been building a couple of new commander decks, actually. I put together a budget Sir Conrad the Grim list, which Ooh. is fun, but it's hard to play on a budget because even if you spend, like I did, like $30 on a list. As soon as people see Conrad hit the table, they're like, kill him, kill him with fire, kill him now. So sometimes you don't actually get to enact your game plan, even if it's crap, because, you know, his reputation precedes him. But I'm also working on an Aura Skyclave Hierophant deck, which is a cleric tribal deck with a Soul Sisters kind of sub-theme. So it's very similar to the kind of list that we were brewing together with Chris from Commander Mechanic a while back. Um, if you don't know Commander Mechanic, pop on over to YouTube. He's a good dude. Very Does good. Some great decks. Friend of the show. Good mess. Yes. And I will be sure to post a 99 of my list when I have it all together as well. I haven't been doing a whole lot outside of Magic either. I Kind of the inverse of yourself. You know, this has been a very Magic week for me. So, I, I, I mean, I played some Dark Souls. I now have the Moonlight Greatsword. Ooh, being Sorcerer and all that. Very good. Uh, played some Genshin Impact. The game is still beautiful and enjoyable. And I haven't paid a single cent to enjoy it. So that's fantastic. I've come back, actually, to a game that I haven't played in a while, and when I first tried it, I didn't like it, and it was because I was actually playing it on keyboard and mouse, and that was the mistake, and that is Enter the Gungeon. So Enter the Gungeon is like a roguelike dungeon crawler from a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. It's got a very hammy kind of gun and bullet theme to it. Uh, the name kind of lends to that, to be honest. Like, I've never played yeah. it, but it, it sounds very shooty, pew-pew focused. Yeah, it's kind of a cross between like a roguelike and a bullet hell kind of game. Okay. It's it's as if someone was to make a parody of what a game made by the NRA would look like. Sure. So <laughs> it's it's very it is very fun though, I will say. And the soundtrack is absolutely awesome. So I definitely recommend it. Alright, so before we jump into the meat and bones of the episode, Emma, have we got any housekeeping this week? 
no housekeeping this week. However, we would like to let everybody know that we are planning to do another BMCast stream this week. Ooh. So a couple of weeks ago, if you didn't see, myself, Scott and Angelo had a nice little chat on stream, on the BMCast stream. Mm-hmm. And we had a few drinks and there was some chatter. There was a lot of chatter about modern bannings. There was a lot of chatter about beer. Angelo got his cowboy hat out because, you know, that's what Angelo likes to do. <laughs> So yeah, like before, we're going to be streaming on Saturday at 8pm GMT time, which makes about 3pm Eastern time. So if you're about, join us, have a drink, have a laugh. It was a good time last time and people are asking us to do it again. So we're just going to keep doing it until people get bored. You can follow the Twitch over at (laughs) twitch.tv slash the BMcast. I'll be posting it on the socials as well so you don't miss out. Awesome. If you enjoy the BMcast and would like to support them, You can become a patron for as little as $3. You'll get access to all of the notes and deck lists they use on the show. And their $7 tier gives you VIP access to the greatest budget resources of any magic podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast to level up your game and get your stonks on. So... Before we jump into the rest of the episode, Emma, I believe you have a card of the week. I do, indeed. And this card of the week's a little different than what we usually have. So this one's a bit of budget bling, which is something we, mm. we are quite the fans of. We like to have these unique art cards and different frames at affordable rate. Yeah. It allows you to personalise your deck on a budget. My card of the week this week is the Pipping Needle from The Secret Lair. Not only does it have nice. really cool tattoo-esque artwork, it's also quite cheap because budget bling's a thing mm-hmm. it's really good in pioneer and modern because it's a great target from a calm great creator in the wishboard it has a mm. lot of application in in those formats and it's also really good just to name off a of fetch land like i don't know about you i get a kick out and naming it off a of fetch land in modern and um, it's just a versatile card mm. there's always going to be abilities in modern that you want to like hose down and piffy needles just good cheap and you can get a pretty one for under five bucks so yep absolutely all right, so moving on to what we're talking about today. We are talking about Challenger decks, specifically with Pioneer upgrades. So if you don't know about them, Challenger decks are pre-constructed decks that are based on the most popular decks from the past year or so of Standard. They are amazing value and are perfect to pick up and play with, whether you're a new player looking to join FNM or a more seasoned player that's looking for an easy entry into another format. They do tend to come out a reasonable way through a standard rotation, however, and they often don't have a very long time to thrive in that standard environment before rotation hits. So this is where we'll help you to make the most out of your purchase. So today we're going to go through our Challenger deck upgrade guide for all four of the 2021 Challenger decks. We'll talk about how to improve these Challenger decks and turn them into powerful and long-lasting decks for the Pioneer format. So we'll be talking about what cards to sell, what cards to add, and basically how to make the most out of it. We'll also be trying to keep this final list under $100 to make sure that it is still budget and as affordable as possible. So let's start off with the first one on the list. And Emma, you gave this one a quick overhaul. This is Azorius Control. Yeah, so when it comes to Azorius Control in Standard, which is what this channel of the deck references, uh, it's very enchantment-based. So it's more of a mm. tap-out control rather than a draw-go, counter-spell-go sort of control deck. Um, so you, you have stuff like Arkham of Sun's Grace, you have loads of enchantment removal. Even with the Pioneer version, you kind of want to keep that because it's a really good base. So when it comes to value with the deck, you get two Skyclave Apparitions and one Shark Typhoon already, which is a really, really mm. good rate because those cards are played in Modern, they're played in Pioneer, they're also played in Standard at the moment. So 
you don't want to sell those because they're quite important to the deck. So in terms of selling anything, there isn't really anything to sell. However, there are a lot of commons and uncommons you can buy to improve this deck. Because it's a control deck, you can mm. make a good deck on, based on those like lower rarity cards. There will be cheaper stuff to replace. like It runs like neutralizers and glass caskets, which aren't as good in Pioneer. However, you can keep these in the toolbox. Depending on your metagame in Pioneer, for example, they might be a good answer against certain decks. So... If you're a control deck, you kind of want to have this toolbox. You want this wide range of options so you can counteract various metagames. In terms of priority and what to pick up to replace, it's basically you want to look at the land base because the land base is a little bit cumbersome. Mm. You can afford to get away with it a little bit because you are a tap-out control deck. However, there are some mana demands with that deck. So your first focus would be stuff looking at like glacial fortresses, irrigated farmlands is a good one as well. And then you want stuff like Castle Vantress and Castle Ardenvale, just because it gives you something to do with your mana at all points. Then you want to add some better counter spells, I guess, because the counter spells in that deck aren't great. Like Neutralize is fine, but it's not exciting. Mm. So you want stuff like Absorb. You want Scott's favourite counter spell, Davin's Veto, because that's really, really going to pioneer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, It's a really compelling option. And then you can add some Planeswalkers. I really like Nico Eris in this deck because it makes enchantment shards on their plus ability, which goes really well with Arkham of Sun's Grace. And yeah, you just have this really nice little control deck. And it's really, really cheap to build because it's mostly commons and uncommons and the rares and mythics are quite cheap as well. Yeah, it looks sweet. Yeah, in terms of benefits, it's very adaptable because you're a control deck. You have a wide range of tools. Um, And those tools aren't very expensive, so you can have this really powerful toolbox. Mm. It's also a really good baseline for blue-white control in modern. So if you want to go further, you can start picking up stuff like Narsets and the Art Mages, Charms and Cryptic Commands later on. If you want to transfer from Pioneer to modern, you can adjust that quite easily and still have one deck for two formats, which is really good for like purchase longevity. And lastly, you want to keep to no more than 25 lands in in a control deck because you want to make sure you hit your drops. Stuff like Castanada Veil and Ventress are really good. And then going further in modern, you can add stuff like um, Celestial Colonnade if you want a better win condition. Yeah, yeah. It's a nice start for a Pioneer deck for Blue-Eye Control. And like you said, going into modern, Blue-Eye Control has started to see a massive, massive uptick lately after the death of Uro because Uro basically just chokes those decks out entirely. It's like, why play anything other than Uro plus 56 other cards? But... (laughs) Now, yeah, like most of the cards that are in the pre-con can be used in the upgrade, which can be used in the modern upgrade. Yeah. So, yeah, this is a great one if you want to play multiple formats. And if and you like control. If you just yeah. if you want to be that control guy at an FNM, this is like a really great starting point. Yeah, for sure. This is a really good one. If you want to see the upgraded list of Emma's Azorius Control for Pioneer, you can find it over on our Patreon. So patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast every single patron tier gets access to the show notes which is where we put all of our deck lists and emma you just were talking about blue eye control i'm going to push you to talk now about mm-hmm. the next one that you've done which is kind of on the other end of the spectrum to blue eye control which is mono green aggro or mono green stompy yep so mono green stompy has been a very very good option in standard for a very very long time it's a really good base on like an adventures deck in standard and we have stuff like Lovestruck Beast, which is just a really good card to play. Fortunately, it transfers incredibly well into Pioneer and to an extent Modern, but we'll get to Modern later on. Mm. So if you're looking to start from scratch from either 
like you want to get into magic you either want to play standard and then you're thinking oh at some point i want to get into pioneer at a later point i think this is probably one of the best ones you can start with just because the baseline is so good and it's also just really cheap there's a lot of cheap powerful threats that are also really resilient and like the blue white control one it's got full of you know cheap commons and uncommons and even the rares are really affordable you have cards that see various plays. So you have stuff like Scavenger News, which is a really big role in Modern, for example. Mm-hmm. It's just very aggressive, very successful. Monogreen Stomp is one of a ton of events back when Pioneer was more popular on the SCG circuit. It's one opens and so forth. So this is a yeah. really good starting point. With that, there are some changes you can make to make this more competitive for Pioneer. And the first thing I would look at is just picking up your Mana Dorks. So picking up a set of Lanoir Elves and Elvish Mystics. That's like your baseline. That's like the least you need to do. Purely because Mm -hmm. you want to play your Lovestruck Beasts on turn two. It's all about cheating creatures out ahead of curve. So you can add stuff like Steel Leaf Champions, a really good one. That's a really good threat to play on turn two as well. Because you're mono green, you can cast it easy on a side note old growth troll is another good option if you can't get steel leaf champions Mm -hmm. then you want to kind of look at your resiliency stuff like aspect of hydra is really good because you can kill people really quickly because you're you're essentially green devotion deck but you're also quite aggressive and then you want stuff like burning tree emissary which helps you cheat out these threats ahead of curve Mm -hmm. in terms of selling stuff there are a couple of cards you can sell so the precon does come with a Garrick Unleashed, which is not impressive in the deck. I don't think you ever no. want this at all. And then you've got a couple of Tan Timber Symbiosis. Apparently that's a Mono Green Stompy card. I mean, I, I could see it, but like realistically, like just creatures or lands, like yeah. I, I wouldn't be spending the mana on a spell to maybe hit a decent threat. Yeah, so just know. shift the Tan Timber Symbiosis. They see a fair amount of playing like Pioneer and Modern, so you should be able to get some good mm. return on that. Yeah, so basically you just want to pick up your dorks, you want to pick up stuff like Blossoming Defense and Aspect of Hydro just to give yourself better win conditions. And as I mentioned yeah. earlier, it's a really good baseline for Monogreen Stompy because like Blue White Control, all those cards transfer across all these three formats. So in terms of purchase, yeah. like it's really, really good baseline. I, I think yeah. it's a really, really good one to start with. Yeah, great value for money. This is probably the one that I would recommend the newer players take a look at first mm. more so than the likes of blue eye control because blue eye control you do need a certain level of format knowledge in order to be able to leverage your skill into the deck yeah. whereas monogreen stompy i'm not saying that it's a play big dum dums turn them sideways deck but like it kind of also is if you if you just want to learn the fundamentals of magic if you want to understand combat mm-hmm. maps how to block with creatures resource management then playing an aggressive deck will help that and i think monogreen stompy yeah. is a really good one just to help you get the fundamentals down before you go, oh, you know what? I fancy playing some tap out control. I fancy, you know, playing a bit slower. Then you can progress. Yeah. But I think if you're just coming, like if you're super fresh to Magic, then I think Monogreen Stompy is a really good starting point. Yeah. Don't think that this is the kind of deck that will give you a hard ceiling, though, that you mm. can't progress further than. Because to be honest, there's nothing more terrifying than an incredibly good player with an aggressive deck. Yeah. You know you're in danger. You know that you're in danger and no one is hiding that fact. You have to find a way to not die ASAP. And you can do that by taking a deck like this and just getting the reps in. Get the reps in, keep playing with it, keep working out lines, make notes of where you've made mistakes, review your matches, and you'll become a great aggressive player with a deck like this. Absolutely. And speaking of aggressive, this is your wheelhouse. So there is a mono red challenger deck as well. Mm -hmm. The mono red challenger deck is 
much more focused towards the likes of Mono Red in Standard, which makes sense because that's what it's modeled after. Mm-hmm. And it looks to use a lot of small creatures to get in for combat damage and then maybe win with an Ember Cleave, which there's one of in the deck. Now, there are a number of changes that you can make to this in order to port it over to Pioneer, but this is a special one. This is a special one because with just a few changes and a, maybe a, an extra $20 or so, you can actually turn this into a tier one deck. Mm-hmm. And that is, I don't think that's ever happened before, no. where you can turn it into an eternal format tier one deck from a challenger deck with about $20 yeah. and just being clever about it. So what it needs to do is it needs to take a refocus from combat and into more of a direct damage strategy. Mm-hmm. So there is a mono red aggro deck it's more mono red burn, to be honest, where what you want to do is you get down one or two cheap threats and you turn them sideways a couple of times, similar to burn in modern, where you hit with a goblin guide a couple of times, and then you just use burn spells to close out the game. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to actually change this around. There are a couple of cards that you can sell, and it seems weird selling these cards because they seem so powerful, but trust me on this. Like I said, there's one Ember Cleave in this deck. It's far too combat focused. You won't really be attacking with too many creatures and the ones that you will be attacking with will likely be quite small. Mm. So it has minimal impact here. It's more of a risk than a good payoff here. Also, it feels with Embercleave that you kind of just want four and like one doesn't just do anything. Like you want as yeah. many copies of that card as possible, right? And because you're not drawing a load of cards, so you're, I don't think you're ever going to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Embercleave itself is like $15. Mm. Like, you can get the majority of your upgrades by selling that one card alone, yeah. you know, which is fantastic. So it's definitely worth shipping that on. Uh, similarly, Shatter Skull Smashing. So Shatter Skull Smashing is the Muddle Toolface card from Zendikar Rising, which is a removal spell on the front and a land on the back. And you're thinking, well, that fits perfectly into this kind of deck, right? Well, yes, but actually no. And that's because it's, it's kind of needed when your main plan is like the actual original precon which is looking to attack through for lethal Mm. and this is used to remove creatures but here we want to attack first with our little creatures and then when we can't attack anymore we just throw burn at the face and win that way so because shadow skull smashing neither attacks nor throws burn at face we need to get it out of the deck and similarly torbran thane of redfell Seems like it makes sense. It increases the amount of damage that your burn spells does. It increases the amount of damage that your creatures do. Yes, but it's it's very, very inefficient, particularly with burn spells. So if you have a Torbrand out and you top deck a burn spell, oh yeah, that's great that it's like five damage to the face. However, that's it. It's gone. It's done. Also, if you have an empty board and you top deck a Torbrand, that is a terrible top deck. It doesn't do anything by itself. But if that was a burn spell, that might be lethal. Mm-hmm. So sell the Torbrands, buy burn spells. With that, let's talk about what we need to buy. Soulscar Mage. This is your key threat. It's the most expensive part of the upgrade. It's roughly $25 for a playset, but it is absolutely worth it. It can be used in a controlling game against bigger aggro decks. Point your burn spells at the creatures to shrink them. This would be great against stuff like the Mono Green Stompy deck. To shrink down Steel League Champions with maybe a Wizard's Lightning to turn it into a 2-1 instead of a 5-4. That kind of thing. Similarly, with Monastery Swift Spear, it's another aggressive threat that also has prowess. And Abbot of Carol Keep, same thing except it's two mana, and it also gets you an extra card. And speaking of extra cards, you can now fit light up the stage. Whenever you deal damage to an opponent, you can pay one red mana and get two cards out of the deal, which is pretty fantastic. The benefits of playing this kind of deck is it's very, very flexible because it can play the control or the beatdown very, very well. Similarly to Burn in Modern, because you can use Burn spells to point at the face or you can use it to control the board. 
You know, you have those options and it's much more streamlined. The curve now stops at three and that is it. It has 22 lands, which is kind of high for an aggressive deck, but four of them are spells in the form of Spike Field Hazard, which are perfect for playing on like turn one or turn two or using to take out something like a Llanowar Elves. And because of the likes of Light Up the Stage, Abbot of Carol Keep and Bonecrusher Giant, the long game on this is phenomenal. Like it does not play like the aggro decks of old where... If you're not dead by turn five, I'm just dead. You still have outs. You still have ways to win the game. And it's so much fun to play. And it's so powerful. Like I said, this is essentially tier one. Yeah, it looks really, really powerful. I really love the addition of Abbot the Carrot Keep as well. Yeah, this looks really good. It's like, as the mono green player in this instance, I'd be kind of terrified because you could just clear out my elves straight away and I'm playing a, a Lovestruck Beast on turn three and it has and it can't attack or anything like that. And it just kind of feels bad. So... Very, very aggressive. Yeah. yeah, so to give you an idea of how terrified other creature decks could be of this deck, uh, there were 22 removal spells in the main deck, technically. Yeah, I don't think I'm winning that matchup if, if we were <laughs> going to have a game, let's be honest. It'd be, very, it'd be a very hard push, I think. <laughs> yeah, so if you like aggressive decks or if you like your matches to last no more than about five to ten minutes so that you can get more of them in in any given day. Or are you the person at FNM that just wants lunch really quickly or dinner? Yeah. You know what? (laughs) There is something to be said about bringing a fast deck to a tournament so that you can actually squeeze in lunch somewhere. Yeah. That's why I buy aggressive decks, to be honest, so I can can actually have lunch instead of just, you know, eating during the rounds. I'm starting to pick this up myself. I think this is why I'm going with Burn a lot now lately, Mm. because... Before, I was always like, well, no, I'm very control-oriented and very combo-focused so I can show you how many wrinkles my brain has. You know, but, like, I'm also, I'm also dehydrated. I need a break. Like, yeah. someone want, get me a subway. I don't know, something. Like, I, need, I need to see the sunlight for two minutes before I go back inside. Yeah. Yeah. Now, with Mono Red done, and speaking of big wrinkly brain time, uh, <laughs> we are going to take our attention and put it to Demir Rogues, which is the final one in the Challenger decks. I'll be honest, I'm quite excited for this one. This one looks really is, good. Yeah, this one's pretty cool. I quite like this one an awful lot. Now, the original baseline Challenger deck is weird. It's real weird, i got to be honest. It's, it's kind of loose in terms of a game plan because it's not as good as other aggressive decks, but it's also weaker at controlling the board than control decks. And the payoffs are overall just kind of weak. Mm. You know, like Zaratzan, yeah, like you can get that ninjutsu in, but if you ninjutsu that in and then it just gets eaten by a heartless act before combat damage, mm. you've just blown yourself out. Like you're not getting anything for that. So a lot of the included rogues are either too slow or weak for the format, or they just don't really fit the type of game plan that can actually thrive in Pioneer. So we need to change things around a little bit. What you need to get rid of are things like Nighthawk Scavenger and Rankle Master of Pranks. The reason I say this is because the likes of Nighthawk Scavenger, they're excellent threats, but they just don't line up very well against removal. You know, like most of the burn spells from the burn deck can kill this in one shot, for example. Similarly with Rankle, the fewer creatures that you run, the worse they become. And we're going to be taking out a bunch of creatures because they're just not very good in this challenger deck. So we will be running fewer and fewer creatures compared to the actual original build. And you don't really want to be attacking with Rankle and make your opponent sacrifice a creature and then you also have to sacrifice Rankle or another key threat. Mm. It's just not the kind of game that this is going to end up being able to play. However, it is turning into a very weird but really cool kind of aggro tempo control kind of thing. It's definitely like aggro control. 
first of all, it's now going to be a Lurus companion deck. You can have Lurus as your companion because nothing in the main deck, no creatures or non-land permanents, are over 2 CMC. Mm. Which means that everything is super low to the ground. It really helps you with your long game recursion. So you can get some of your key threats back with Lurus. And it just helps the deck with staying power. Because a lot of these aggro control decks just run out of gas and die. And that's how they die. They just run out of gas. Lurus helps that not happen. Another way that you can help sort of keep your gas going is adding a card called Glintsleeve Siphoner from back in Ether Revolt. I, I love it was. this card in Standard. I played it so much. <laughs> this card has been waiting for its time in the sun in Pioneer. Yeah. And I think this is the spot for it. It's really good threat in mid-range battles because you can attack through their one threat because it has Menace. Keep generating a little bit of energy and then, you know, draw a couple of extra cards. And they have to answer it. Otherwise, it's just going to kind of run away with the game. It's really, really good against control as well because they have to use removal against it. And if you have like some sort of counterspell backup, which you probably do when you look at this list, it's it's just it's it's a nightmare for control to deal with. And then everything else in the deck is just cheaper interactive spells, you know. Mm. So there's like some fatal pushes or... There's a couple of other removal spells in the form of, say, like, you know, Eliminates and Heartless Acts and that kind of thing. We're going to be focusing on milling our opponent a little bit more in this. So Thieves Guild Enforcer will mill, Soaring Thought Thief will mill, Vantress Gargoyle can mill. And with all of these little mill bits, this is what's turning on things like the Drown of the Locks. And we've now added Into the Story, which is something that should definitely be in the main deck. This is something that is just so fantastically good. Very underrated, it's, but fantastically yeah, good. It's bananas. It, it essentially reads four mana instant speed, draw four cards. Yeah. And like I said, last thing this deck wants to do is run out of gas. This is how you prevent that entirely. It's also nice that into the story, if that's the only card in your hand and you cast it, it means that Vantress Gargoyle can block regardless because it's yeah. four cards. Just an incidental little thing. But yes, so what this wants to do is essentially just control the board while attacking with one or two little threats like Thieves Guild Enforcer or Glintsleeve. And this is very much kind of like a Delver strategy, where you play one threat, kind of set and forget about it, and then just interact with your opponent until they're dead. Mm. And it's fantastic. It's really, really good. The downside, however, and this is a downside that none of the other decks have, is the mana base. I know you were talking earlier, Emma, about Blue Eye Control. They can kind of get away with some tap lands, some temples, and that kind of thing. If you're looking to be aggressive, you can't really do that. You can't be playing a turn-off curve. So there are some Temple of Deceits still in the mana base, but a lot of the things that we've had to add to this deck are stuff like two Fable Passage and four Clearwater Pathway. Yeah. So that comes to about $30 onto the budget. It's also quite awkward as well because we don't have Underground River and Dark Six Shores in Pioneer yet, yeah. which makes the mana issues a bit difficult as well, especially as you're low to the ground. Those would be ideal for Pioneer and... Watsy, please print them now, thanks. Yeah. Because the fact that we don't have symmetrical land bases in Pioneer is just really frustrating as someone who likes to brew and deck build. So, Big time, big yeah. time. So, yeah, that's where the majority of the cost in the upgrade comes in, mm. which is not great. Like, I know it doesn't feel great to have to spend some money on a mana base because they're not cool new flashy cards that you get to play or whatever. But what it does mean is that the cool flashy cards that you've got in the challenger deck or the upgrades you've used, you actually get to cast them. Plus, they're cool and flashy because they're rogues. Oh, God. Rogues are great. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) So, the sideboard is very well set up as well with Mm -hmm. a couple of simple upgrades. Three Aether Gust and three Mystical Dispute is just super easy catch-all answers to basically 90% of the format. And things like Duress 
are great. Like you just board out removal spells, add hand disruption spells in yeah. terms of control matchups and that kind of thing. I've added one dead weight in the sideboard like because that. it interacts really nicely with Luris. Yeah. I do like the Aether Hub in here as well to go alongside the Glint Sea Siphoner. And that's a really nice way to get some fixing considering we can't run Dark Six Yours and Underground River. So. Yeah. I only added two Ether Hub because the only energy producer here is Glint Sleeve Siphoner. Mm. So I don't want to go into four Ether Hubs and then, you know, see an opening hand of like three Ether Hubs and then go, well, in three turns time, I have no colored mana. <laughs> yeah. That would be the nightmare scenario. But this is probably the one that's intrigued me the most. It feels almost like Delver is viable in Pioneer without actually being Delver, kind yeah. of, if that makes sense. It's, it's yes. weird. It's really well. Weird. Pioneer is a brand new format now because all the bad cards have yeah. gone. So I think this has legs in Pioneer, but you know, considering it's like really good and standard, and it has potential in modern, which says to me it must have something in Pioneer, right? Considering that's like the middle ground. So it'd be really interesting to see if anything comes from it. Yeah, one hundred percent. So that is it for our Challenger deck upgrade guide for all four of the twenty twenty one Challenger decks. So that covers Azorius Control, Mono Green Stompy, Mono Red Aggro, and Demir Rogues. They can all transfer over to Pioneer, which is fantastic. Yes. I really like that about them. No yep. matter which one you pick up, no matter which one your LGS might have left over, whatever one they've ordered in or been able to squeeze through from the suppliers because of the pandemic and can only get a certain number in, no matter which one you get, you can end up with a Pioneer deck out of it. So that's pretty, pretty awesome. If you had to pick, Emma, if I had to put you on the spot and you had to pick one of these to get the Challenger deck and go and upgrade it in the way that we've done it here, mm. which one would you pick? I think I would have to pick the blue-white control one, um, which is not like me, because I'm not a traditional mm. control player. I'm normally quite aggressive. So I, I expect many people would have thought, oh, Emma would pick Mono Green, because that's the sort of deck she likes to play. Uh, no, mm. blue-white control, purely because, A, I don't play a huge amount of control, so I'd be kind of interested to try it, if we're talking yeah. like from a player experience. Uh, secondly... I can play it in Pioneer, I can build up to it in Modern as well, and just the idea of having one deck that I can play in free formats is just a really attractive idea to me, especially someone who's yeah. trying to be like budget conscious and stuff. It just it's like there's a lot of room to work with. And plus blue white control is quite flexible, there's a lot of options, like a lot of answers, lots of different cards. Like blue white control is like a big jigsaw puzzle, trying to figure out the meta game and then yeah. play the deck. And I think I'd have a lot of fun with that. So I think that would be my choice. Yeah, sweet. What about you? What's your challenger deck of choice? I think it's gotta be mono red. It's yeah. just like the staying power that has for an aggressive deck is mind blowing. Mm. It really is. And I'm a huge fan of aggressive decks that in the right matchup can play the control deck. Yes. And if you know how to do it, it's it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Mm. It really is. I've actually I've played with the tier one deck version of this, which is only about six cards different. Mm. Like, there's only a couple of cyborg cards being changed or whichever, and it's insane. It's absolutely bananas. It will win you many games. So yeah, I would have to go with the mono red for sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I think in terms of challenger decks, like across the last like two three years, they've been doing this. Mm-hmm. Like the mono red ones are always the most consistent like every yeah. single time i don't think there's ever been a bad one because i believe the first one had like hazards in it and then the one after mm. that had phoenixes and now you've got stuff like ember cleave it's just like yeah. consistent across the board so yeah that's it i mean like if in doubt mono red right mm, yeah it's called red deck wins for a reason so <laughs> that's it and once again if you want to see any of the fine details that we've put into all of these upgrade guides and any of the full 75 deck lists 
head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash budget Any Patreon tier will get you access to our show notes, which has every single bit of information that we've talked about here and some extra little bonus bits. Now, before we close up, Emma, have we got any Q&A this week? We do have a couple this week. So mm. the first one from Pavel Villino. What card do you think is modern playable but doesn't have a deck for it just yet? Or a card that needs one or two cards printed to break it into modern. So an example here would be Arclight Phoenix could have like a Faithless Luing-esque effect that would revigorate the strategy. Not necessarily Faithless Luing, but something a little, something similar to it. I mean, I talked before about how I think Phoenix could actually come back with yes. Prismari Command. Yeah. As a completely different deck, but, you know... Um, I do think it would have to be something along the lines of, like, careful study for yeah. Arclight Phoenix and that kind of thing. I know that would cause problems with the likes of Dredge and all sorts of stuff, but again, just <laughs> Dredge, it's fine, don't worry about it. Yeah, I think that's kind of my pick. There are a bunch of other cards. I think I mentioned this a couple of episodes back as well. Witch's Cottage. Yes, is that just card. Another, card it's is just so Creature good. Mystic Sanctuary, like... the. It's just a card or two away from just an infinite yeah. combo or something, you know? I think the card I miss most in Modern that I wish was played more is Videlkin Shackles. Okay. I, I think I really enjoy playing that back in 2017 Modern when, you know, taking control of Tarmogoyce was actually relevant. But it's just a really cool effect, you know, you get to mm. play like a bunch of islands and stuff thanks to Shocklands and it was a cool sort of mid-range control card to play in like the mirrors and stuff. I really enjoyed it. like to see it yeah. come back. Sweet. So we have our weekly tweet from Evie the Maze ninety seven, and they let us know that in a world where Goblin Bombardment is five dollars, there is a sweet fourteen cent alternative in Barrage Expendables that does a pretty good impression of Goblin Bombardment. Mm-hmm. It's a one mana enchantment from looks like M twelve or M fourteen. Uh, you pay red to sacrifice mm-hmm. a creature, and it does one damage to any target. It's a really good placeholder yep. on Goblin Bombardment, so that's a good that's a good find. And also, yep. Evie the Mage also asks. Also, with Time Spiral Remastered spoilers coming, what are the, some of the cards you're hoping to get the time-shifted border treatment? Oh, I mean, like, I would say things like Ponder or Remand or <laughs> Talrand or... But, like, they've literally all just gotten that. Yeah. Um, I think of the ones I haven't seen so far, I... I'm just, like, Spell Pierce, like... Mm. <laughs> um, maybe Young Pyromancer? Oh, Ooh, that would no, be a good one. Bedlam Reveler. Bedlam Ooh, Reveler yes. and Crackling Drake. Yes. <laughs> They're the ones I want. Um, so I would like to see Thoughtseize, but with the Lawin art. I think that would okay. look incredible. I think if they don't do Lightning Bolt, there is something wrong. A time-shifted Lightning Bolt would be very nice. Um, mm-hmm. And also, I, I kind of want a Birds of Paradise as well. The like the 7th edition, 8th edition ones are quite expensive at the moment, and that old border with the shooting star just looks great on those. So it would be nice to have kind of a more affordable old border birds of paradise as well yeah yeah be a good old bop yeah good old bop but no they seem really great as we mentioned at the start of the show they just ooze like quality and i feel such a paper boomer for wanting these time shifted borders just all the time because they look great yeah <laughs> yeah you know what if they release these with every single set as just a one-off sheet of yeah you know there's there's a hundred cards on it and you get one in every pack i'd be buying infinite percent more boxes than i currently am <laughs> yes i would just have a a bogles deck that's just all time shifted all border foils and that would be fantastic <laughs> that is as gross to me as it is exciting for you, <laughs> you. 
Thank you for listening to us here at the BM Cast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Aliandro, Kilgore Trout 503, Max Makes Magic, Odin Egan, Philippe Delmock, The Jazz Guy, The Joe Cheney, Bradley Rose, Ian Holland, and The Pauper Guild. And at the Stonks tier, we have Anga Orr, Scott Creech, Simon Grip, Brian Madden, Nerblin, Everett Brogan, Dahi Carroll, and Tom Telford. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash budgetmagiccast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews for us, you can email us at budgetmagiccast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.